Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson shares an introduction to the book of Hebrews. And now, here's Phil. We're starting a new series, a little bit ahead of time, as Dave mentioned. And that's okay, we'll finish up uh, Titus uh, uh, as people are available to speak. And uh, we're going to start our new series in the in the book of Hebrews this morning, and also try and cover in some detail verses 1 uh, through 4. So just hold your uh, fingers there uh, as we begin. I I want to distract you from what I'm going to be saying by putting something into your subconscious and thinking about. Uh, Later in the talk, I'm going to, we're going to have a little bit of a sharing time, and I want you to think about one way in which things are stuck together. So think about your own uh, blank stares here, but I want you to think about your vocation, your skills, your talents, or your observations, and think of one thing, one way of describing something you're aware of, uh, how, how two things are stuck together. It'll make sense later, I hope. Not long ago, my brother, my older brother and I were talking about the fascination we both have had in our lives with the study of geology. He suggested I I read a book entitled The Map That Changed the World, which is a story of a man by the name of William Smith and the birth of modern geology. Don't worry, it's not going to be too heavy here. William was fascinated in his childhood by rocks and minerals in England and in particular, the fossils that often accompanied the rock, embedded in them, in fact, uh, as he observed. He began mapping his findings as a young person, which grew into a life devoted as a mine surveyor in the coal mines, and then a builder of the canal systems throughout England. Through those experiences of peeling back the earth's layers, he built his observations into the great map of England that is on is on the screen here, that initiated a foundational change in the propelling of the understanding of the formation of England and Wales. Not long after that, I was also talking to my older brother, and we were talking about another fascinating and brilliant young man who we met together uh, at university. Then I was in a phase of questioning my faith, not doubting my faith, but trying to see how well my family, uh, the, the faith that I was brought to in my family, would hold up against all of the influences of professors and books and libraries and uh, took time from my engineering studies to really t- uh, try and pursue uh, general knowledge and to see how my faith would, my faith would uh, measure up. My brother and I were living together and we came across a lecture series on the book of Hebrews uh, by a Dr. Harley Smith Smith. He's now a neurosurgeon. He was a young doctor at the time. And he was uh, he actually went to school for a while with Dr. Verbeek Sr. And was recently in Timmins at the funeral of uh, uh, Jane, which I I missed and missed uh, seeing him again. Uh, What he what he taught deeply attracted me to this foundational book as he peeled back the Old Testament and uh, looked into it for its layers of significance uh, to young people. 
And he related it, it uh, not only to the Old Testament, but dug out the treasures of what the New Testament was all about uh, through the lens of this book that's before us this morning and its significance to the one and only faith uh, of, the Christi- of, of Christianity. That study over a period of, I think it was about 13 weeks, signif- it was a lunchtime thing, that significantly impacted my world of my worldview and my life to this day. And I trust that our study in Hebrews would do that for us to really rock, pardon the pun, our world and uh, help us to uh, see things anew that we never thought of before and to come and have a a deeper look at the man that made and changed the world. As we open up this book, I, I want you not to be surprised as we go through the coming weeks for a number of reasons. Uh, the one little proverb uh, that's often said is, the, and this is in a mining community often said, I guess, the more we dig, the more treasures will be found. And the more we dig into this particular book, the more God's uh, treasures will be located for us and we will uh, find them and mine them together. I spent a, some time of my, uh, um, in case you people don't, anybody here doesn't recognize that uh, that cross-section of the mine, particularly the young miner in the back row there. It's the kid mine. And uh, when I was working there in the 90s, uh, uh, we, were, we were searching for d- treasure buried beneath or beside or wherever uh, from the mine we were working on that would expire soon. Uh, one day, the geologist that I was working with, the uh, chief geologist, and I was the n- newbie there, but he put on my desk, a piece of core of the ore that was found, at least the mineralized rock. I'm not sure we thought it was ore at the time, from 9,600 feet uh, below uh, the Earth's surface. And I still have that a chunk of uh, calcopyrite to remind us of the success of those hard searches we made deep into the mine. The more we dig, the more God's treasures will be located for us and help us in our journey to appreciate the God that we are before this morning. Alongside, don't be surprised as well in the book about the warnings. As you read them, they are very personal. And for any of us this morning who are wondering about the Christian faith, are, are professing Christians, but are maybe wandering away from it even just a little bit. If we're somewhat confused about, uh, is this faith really strong enough in foundational capability to hold us and stick us to Christ? then this book will challenge each of us in, a very, in very significant ways. We'll find the book complex, so be prepared to read it over several times during our time together. Uh, we're not experts in the Old Covenants of the, uh, and the Old Testament, but we, we, uh, need to, we will uncover some of that together. And they indeed, as we understand these complexities and why the author has stitched these together, it will help us. Uh, reinforce the foundations of our faith uh, as we as we work together. So don't be d- uh, surprised by a few things uh, uh, about this book. So let's just do a, a little bit of an overview of the book together as we begin. Uh, one of the questions you write about a letter is who wrote it. Uh, we were sitting in uh, Irko Falls Chapel for Evelyn's uh, passing the other day, and there was a Bible. We call them pew Bibles. I picked one up flipped over to the book of Hebrews, and it said, the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews. 
and that's the way I, w- I grew up and uh, uh, I uh, always thought, and I may even say it at some of my times, that, uh, what Paul said as we speak about it. But I want you to notice a few things as to why many don't, don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We, if you read through the book and look at the internal uh, writings within the book, you, you at, at the beginning of the book, never mind the title that uh, have, uh, have been put down about ascribing it to Paul, but the title simply is the Hebrews, but in the original documents, internally there was no self-identification throughout the whole book are we on the right slide? Yeah. Uh, of, uh, the, there's no self-identification of who the author is of, in the available manuscripts. Paul, when he was writing his letters, always identified himself. And that's one contrast you notice uh, right off the top. Uh, from the Apostle Paul to, to the uh, Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians. So he always identified not only his authorship, but throughout it, he claimed personal authority for, for the writing of that book. The apostolic authority, which gave him the authority by which he wrote. When you look into the book of Hebrews, that claim is not there. And it almost appears that it's intentional that it was God who was to be listened to. Now, I'm not undermining any of Paul's letters here in any way, but it's a difference in this particular in this particular book. And notice Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, if you want to turn to that. And this is one of the internal evidences that caught my attention uh, about the authorship of the book. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So, can't read too much into that, but you can see that this, this person writing doesn't appear to have either been in the company of Jesus or was, or heard him along the road to Damascus, as Paul did. Uh, also, if you look at the external... Uh, who, ...who wrote the book. The other thing to note, uh, just a few quick points... The, the polished Greek style in which the original documents are written are not like the normal way that the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote in Greek. The one who wrote this, whoever it was, had to have very thoroughly no, thorough knowledge of priestly practice. And, of course, the Apostle Paul had that, but so did others. They had a very thorough Jewish knowledge of the Old Testament at the, at the expert level. And uh, that, too, would have to qualify the person who, who wrote it. And this person was also, of course, a Jewish Christian who uh, knew all about the Christian faith and compared it to the, uh, the, old te- the faith of the Old Testament. Many alternatives have been offered by various scholars, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, of course, Luke, Barnabas, Apollos, and Priscilla, uh, many who could have possibly uh, wrote, wrote the book. So I have mentioned anonymity. We don't really know who wrote it, but the book starts off with identifying Jesus as the apostle of our faith in that age and from that age forward. A reminder as well in the first verse of of, uh, the book that's before us says it is God who is speaking. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. 
Another notable thing throughout the book is that the author doesn't identify the writer of the Old Testament references he's bringing up in his presentations. That's an important thing as well. Most writers who quote from the Old Testament, or often they do, not always, they often say, well, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah said, and so on. In this case, never, I think that's true, never identifies the author of the Old Testament references that are presented. So when we're looking at a book, when was it written and from where was it written? There are, in this book, there's very few internal references to aid in dating when, when the book was written. There is a reference to Timothy as his brother, who was recently released from prison. Uh, it's likely that he wrote the book before A.D. 70, which is a significant date in history when the, 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 there was a, a battle between the Jews of uh, Jerusalem and, the, and the, uh, trying to overthrow the Romans at that time. And uh, AD, in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. And the uh, Jews were dispersed among the nations at that, at that point in time. If, if the time of the writing of the book was later than A.D. 70, one would think that the reference to the destruction of Jerusalem by Roman armies and taking Jews into captivity would have been mentioned. So most people say it has to be before A.D. 70. And it does appear that it was probably written somewhere between 64 and 67 A.D., and I elaborate a little bit on this because to understand what the Jews were going through and that this writer is trying to help them through, we have to understand a bit of their context. In 64 AD, Jewish Christians were being persecuted by Nero. Uh, he burned the city. And when he burned the city, he was a bit of a crazy man, full of himself and his own power. He burned this the wonderful city, uh, but he blamed the Christians. He criminalized being a Christian. So it was a criminal thing to confess the Christian faith. We're just so thankful we're not there yet. And I almost added the word yet, but I hope and pray that that won't come in our land. Uh, in 67, the Jews rebelled against Rome and they were crushed in AD 70. So somewhere between 64 and 67, when we look at the persecutions that ha- did occur, that this, this writer is talking about and are expected to occur again and by in 2020 hindsight, maybe that was A.D. 70. Uh, we don't know, for sake of time, I'll be brief here, we don't really know where it is written, but one, in one place uh, the writer talks about uh, and those in Italy. Uh, so it's possible it was written not from somewhere in Palestine, but perhaps uh, from Rome itself. So just to summarize uh, the, the, who the audience is, I mean, it's obviously written to Jewish people, first of all, encompassing Jewish Christians, and worried. the writer is obviously worried about those Christians as to how they're responding to their circumstances of the time. Uh, there was persecution between Jewish Christians in particular, uh, which uh, were, put them in danger of being driven away from their faith. There was intense persecution, uh, as we said earlier, about possibly being charged uh, by Rome as being criminals. Uh, There was concern over returning to the Jewish practices and faith. I think what seems to be going on is the Jewish Christians were being persecuted 
The other Jewish people, the Jews themselves and their religion, they were saying, you got to come back to us, come back to what we have to help us face this persecution and this fight against Rome. And there was uh, the persecution from the Romans uh, to all Jewish people alike, whether Christians or not at the time. Uh, and there were, from what we can see in the book, we'll see that there was there were Jewish people being criticized for being Christians from the Jewish religion people as well. We see references, for example, of uh, some some were beginning to forsake their assembly together uh, in the uncertainty of this time. Some were in danger of returning to Judaism and so on. When you read the scriptures, you you try to find out uh, by what is said what was going on. I'll give you an, a simple example from another, another verse. Do not lie in the book of Ephesians, but speak the truth to one another. Well, the writer isn't saying that just out of isolation. Yes, he's giving you the general truth. It's not a Christian thing to be a liar. But he's also, full, as we've seen in the book of Titus, they were liars. Professed to be liars and rather proud of it. And we can never mind <laughs> the uh, and and so we can we can assume gen- generally speaking that what we what the teacher was doing at the time the writer he was trying to correct things that were going on at the time in what was said and that's how I picked up some of these uh, these threads the other thing when you start looking at a at a at a book of the Bible is to Try to understand what the general theme is and the purpose of writing that sets the big picture of what the book is about by looking at the key words used in the book by the writer. And uh, you'll see that faith is obviously the number one word used. And let's just pause for a moment and think about ourselves here. We're going to see the the uh, hallmark of fame of the people of faith. And. It's an opportunity for us to look at our faith and see how our faith stacks up compared to these exemplars of faith given in in, in a lot of these faith references come from uh, chapter 11. Overall, in the book, there's a number of things that work together. The word perfect is used nine times. The call is perfect. The 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 writing is perfect and the Lord is perfect compared to other other things. The word better, Christ is better than other uh, mentions uh, eight times. And these two very blessed words that go together most a lot of the time in the book is eternal and salvation. What we have in Christ is eternal in nature. It's good for this life. It's tremendous for this life. And also we have this blessed hope of the appearing of Christ again to bring this all to completion. His people being his people now and his people for all eternity. So these are very precious and important matters that are before us. So this is a bit of a checklist as to the purposes that come out of those key mentions. Uh, and I'll just leave it to you to keep those, but going through them quickly to assert right at the beginning of the, of the book, uh, the writer asserts the eternal divinity of Jesus. Jesus is a man. He lived and dwelt among the people of the time, but he is being presented here as the eternal Son of God, divinely part of the divine Trinity, and he is sovereign over all. Uh, people being written to them at the time and us now is to warn against turning away. Now we can sit here and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. 
I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to deny this. There's more subtle ways of beginning to turn away that we need to guard against. And those are going to be covered in the book. And they're rather scary, actually. That if you start to fall away in a little bit, how quickly that becomes a huge thing in our lives. So we all need to look into that purpose as we move through. Uh, He writes to demonstrate that patriarchs and the old covenant practices were all foreshadowing the fulfillment and continuation in Christ. So the book is all about comparing or going over what was designed by God from the very beginning, before Moses and even before the old covenant, to say that this was all there. This began there. It was all there from the beginnings. And they, the people he was obviously arguing against, were saying, well, it began with Abraham and Moses. And Jesus takes them be behind that, before that, uh, to make his, his case for, the, for what was to come and, and be fulfilled uh, in Christ. There's another pur- purpose throughout the book that shines through is, uh, again, a challenge to us to bring Christians to maturity in Christ. And there's some quite uh, pointed words by the author. You're still drinking milk. You should know more than you know. You should be more than you are. You're just beginner Christians. And uh, when we come to that, uh, even the things that he lists as being beginner Christians is a bit scary. And uh, the and the advanced knowledge, I hope we uh, start to participate in those together as we go through those chapters. A lot of this book is about encouraging perseverance through suffering. And the last one I want to highlight is to bring the hope of Christ in day-to-day living. He talks a lot about how we live, with what attitudes we live. Are we living in the rest of God? Are we living in the hope of his coming uh, again? The the outline uh, of the book that we're going to be following is, you'll notice often we run pretty much to chapters. But when you look at the content and map the content, the the chapters assigned to it really didn't fit together too well. So we have uh, the chapters and verses listing by week there. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the first one, and God is speaking to us. Uh, the next one, pay more careful attention to, to what you hear. And uh, Easter Sunday happens to fit so nicely into Hebrews chapter 2. I, I hope we can continue with that for that purpose, Easter, and with the, with the speaker as well, by the way. Uh, leading many to glory as Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Just wonderful uh, uh, times ahead, and uh, we look forward to each of them. A question that comes up is uh, maybe you're nodding off and saying, well, why study this book today? All this complexity, all this old stuff, all these old practices. Why study this today? And I, uh, I, I get that question. So what I did is I went through the book one time just to highlight the questions that come out of the morning. The morning I don't know when it was, but the, the warning passages of the, of the book. So it's the warnings or exhortations or encouragement that the writer is giving to his audience. Saying, this is what I'm telling you, but this is the implication. And those implications are very much for us today. And these are the, the questions I tried to capture there. First one comes from today and next week, or next, uh, the second session. Are we really listening to God's message? Are our foundations for life 
on solid footings. That was me in second year university. Why did God's son die? What does unbelief look like in my life? Not my saving faith, but my unbelief to follow the message of God as we live as mature Christians. Are we really living in the rest of the Lord? What keeps us from failing to mature in our Christian life? What does the Lord provide in his new covenant that is applicable to us today? Are we committing to God's call for worship? How can we possibly finish well? What does perseverance involve, particularly our reaction to it? Really? A life of peace today? So I'm glad I just assigned those to all the coming speakers to uh, try and work with those. A little bit about the structure of the uh, of the book, um, the way I divided it up. The, the first uh, overall section is the doctrinal dissertations, including its warnings. And then I broke that down to notice that in the beginning of the book, Jesus is being compared to five personalities. Angels with a warning. Angels again. Moses as the servant of God and a warning. Joshua and the rest of God, another warning. Aaron and lineage and another warning. And Melchizedek, the high priest. So those are, uh, I've listed five. There's probably more embedded in it, like Abraham. But five personalities that the Jewish people of the time were relying on for the foundation of their faith. And uh, in the next section, five institutions are listed that the people were following. That was their religion of the day. That's what the Jews were practicing and uh, showing how these were just foreshadowings of, of Christ who was to come and what he fulfilled and what it means to us today. Compared to the sanctuary, compared to the covenant old and new, compared to the tabernacle, compared to the uh, delivery from sin, atonement, and the offerings that Christ made on our behalf compared to the Old Testament offerings. So that's what next comes is the five institutions. And then the practical applications of the book, chapter 11, the models of faith, and then chapters 12 and 13, how then uh, shall we live? Here's your homework exercise I gave you at the beginning of the time. Uh, I'm just going to go around and give you a quick opportunity to answer this uh, question. I'm going to remember exactly how I worded it. How many ways in in our material world are things stuck together? Let's have, I'm going to leave Dave Hook to the end because I know what he's, he's going to say. Any from this side? Gravity. Gravity. Good one. An adhesive. A glue. I thought Jim would give us that one. Geographic? Okay. Yeah, just being near to each other. Excellent. Velcro. Velcro, a specific type of, uh, of fastening. Yes. Stitches from a man. I was expecting that from whatever you were doing this week. Oxygen. Yes, absolutely. So there are Jim, I'm waiting for you. Of course. Crazy glue. Water. David. Vicky. Magnets. Magnetism. Yes. Excellent. I thought that would have come from Ted, but he's... What do you got, Ted? Blank. Nail, nail 
Yeah, nails, screws, all of those things. Mixing, mixing, blending, grafting. Uh, as we are grafted into Jesus, Steve. Sunshine. Perfect. Lots of ways in which we, we uh, stick things together in the world. I want you to think about those little pictures as we ask the question, which is the theme of uh, this particular section, is how, and maybe even the book, the command or the question is, stick to Jesus. How are we to stick to him? And notice what... Uh, Let's just read these verses quickly together. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's his introduction. You can compare that to some of the others in scripture. But right at the beginning, he sets out that the one who is before us and on which all things hang is worthy to be stuck to, worthy to be glued to, worthy to be joined to in, in every way possible in our lives. To just... Highlight those verses. Jesus is now the prophet at that time. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets prophesied to lead people to Jesus in the later time. The, it, it's note, noted, note, note please, that uh, he has spoken to us through him. Uh, says says our verse. And that one who spoke to us is eternally sovereign. He's the creator. He's the presenter of God's glory. He's the representation, representer of God's being. And he is, sustains all things by the powerful word that is his, the written word and the message he is delivering to you by his spirit through his word today. So what's important is for us to listen to him, to heed what he has for us and obey. And let's guard against our tendencies to slip away from being joined, to pulling apart, to uh, failing to see the important things that he has for us and, and just to listen to him and have him speak to us, knowing that he has forgiven us of our weaknesses and sin. He paid the penalty for those on the cross. He made purification from sin and empowered us to live a holy and a spotless life because Jesus is now at God's right hand in heaven, interceding for us, helping us from there through what's here, his word, through what's here and dwelling us is his spirit. And with all of these thoughts, we should be doing what we can to stick to him wholeheartedly and with full and priority commitment. May the Lord bless to us the uh, uh, reading and study of his word. And I'm just going to read one verse right from the end of the chapter. I know we're reading the going to the last chapter of the book and cheating. But there is just sums it up. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of his sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory now and forever. As we've been singing, Father, we do pray that we would uh, be your people in this world at a time when the world is uh, looking for answers and help, and we pray that we might uh, express our faith and hope in the one who does bring answers, does bring hope, and does bring salvation. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.